Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and East Bay Times. And I edit and publish the weeklydriver.com, now approaching uh, 20 years online. My colleague and friend across the table from me in our, his home is uh, Bruce Aldrich. And our guest today is from Consumer Reports. We always love talking to Consumer Reports. It's a uh, as everybody knows, it's uh, the most objective um, source around for all kinds of things, of course, including automobiles. Our guest today is uh, John Linkove. He's the deputy autos editor. And today we're going to talk about the 2022 most reliable cars. Uh, John wrote the article, and we can't wait to dive into it. We contacted uh, CR yesterday, and John was available. So, John, thanks again for the late notice and being available, and thanks for being our guest. Guys, my pleasure. Uh, definitely looking forward to talking with you. Thank you, John. Um, let's let's start from the re- the word reliability. Uh, could you tell us how Consumer Reports uses that word and what it means, particularly since we're talking about 2022 cars and we're still about uh, well a little over halfway through 2022. Certainly, certainly. So what we do is we survey our members, our millions of members, and ask them for their experience with their cars, the, the car or cars that they own. And we don't just look at current, we look at their used vehicles, the ones they've had for years, going back 20 years. So we have data on all, ma- all different years of, of vehicles, but we also have robust data that allows us to predict for the, the new model year. So what we do is if a vehicle hasn't um, at all. So it hasn't been redesigned, hasn't been freshened. I mean, wh- and when we look at that, we look at the powertrain, really. You know, if they put a new nose on it, if they, you know, change some interior features, you know, a, a bigger text screen or, you know, stuff like that, that that's not really wholesale updates. But we're looking at, a, a, you know, a major freshening and such. If that vehicle hasn't changed for three years, we use three years of the data, the most three recent years. Now, if a car has been redesigned, if a car has all um, never been introduced before, we then look at things such as the previous generation, how it performed. We look at shared puppetry with other uh, vehicles in the manufacturer's lineup. But if we just don't have data on a vehicle, we're just unable to predict it. You know, we're not going to really go out on a limb and give something an average or above if it's kind of wishy-washy. Just because it's a new car, it may be a new replacement for something popular. John, what I was really impressed with, and, and these are numbers that you know, I'm sure, but when you look at Consumer Reports' website and you read through what you guys do, the what really stuck out to me is the number of people who come to the site. I was amazed. It's it's some extraordinary number of views and daily visitors, and uh, I know that there are some big sites out there, but uh, no disrespect, but it, it, it was a little bit stunning. I didn't realize that the readership and the, the viewership is so high. Uh, thank you. I mean, thank you. you know, we, we, we're, you know, it's an old company. I mean, we've been around 70 plus years. Um, you know, we, we certainly have uh, come evolved over time in the sense of our relationships with manufacturers. We still hold them accountable. Um, but at one point, you know, maybe I've almost, I've been there almost 20 years now and in, in early in my career and, and before I started there, you know, there might've been a little bit of an adversarial relationship because they didn't understand us. And we really wanted to keep a, a very closed off, uh, wall from, yes. from communicating with them. And nowadays it's, it's different. I mean, we don't take advertising. Um, we pay for our rent when we rent a, uh, a press car from them to get an, you know, to get a first look at it. 
but we do have a better sharing of data. We do have better rapport because at the end, that makes the vehicle better for a consumer. Sure. Um, one more kind of journalistic question before we go on to the list. Uh, with Consumer Reports, as you mentioned, it's been around uh, prior to the Internet uh, for many, many years, and people got the print version of it delivered, and people couldn't wait to jump in to you know, see the ratings in all different uh, areas. Um, what, is the, what is the viewership now in terms of online versus print? If, if you can share that, I'm just curious to know in your world how that's evolving. It, uh, I, I, I could dig it. I don't have that at my hand. I apologize. Um, it certainly is evolving towards digital, has, has been speeding ahead. Um, you know, we, we still sell a lot of newsstand editions of the April auto issue, which yes. is pure cars, a hundred pages and all that. Um, certainly just like anything in print, the, you know, the numbers are down, uh, like any print p- product, um, sure. but we still, we're, we're fortunate. I mean, there are products out there that, you know, where it's almost a subscription as a dollar because they want to get it in front of you because of advertising costs and such. No, we still, we still charge a subscription fee because we're nonprofit. We sell, uh, six special interest publications a year on the newsstand, which are only cars. Um, you know, they're, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're not a dollar, you know, they, they, they cost about eight, nine, ten, eleven dollars Sure. Um, but they're very, they're very well received. They sell very well. They sell th- the sell through rate, which is the, the percentage sold versus how many they print, um, does well. Um, because it's a big purchase for people in automobile, you know, it's the, ne- it's, what do they say? It's the next biggest purchase after a house. So, yes. Our robust information definitely helps. And we do tell people as well, look at a variety of sources. Don't, you know, we'd love it if you took our word for it, but go and look at a variety of sources. But if you want to come back for the data that you know is not marred by any outside source, is not massaged, is doesn't have, we don't have to make a manufacturer and advertiser happy, um, you know, come back to us at the end uh, for, for you making your final decision. Thanks for that. Bruce has the list in front of him, so I'll let Bruce go ahead and uh, whatever Bruce wants to go with, great. Well, first of all, John, I'd just like to say that uh, I used to be one of those guys that had stacks and stacks of consumers' reports sitting around in my various <laughs> places in the house because I wanted to go back, you know, look at a maybe a toaster sure. or, or a, you know, five years ago car or something that was new back then, and now I want to buy it used, and I wanted to see the reliability. But, you know, obviously nowadays digital, you can get all that. It's on your computer, and you can search it not have to dig through the stacks. Exactly. Exactly. In your hand, in your pocket, you know, you have exactly, 20 years yep. of data on, on whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at the list, and uh, the first one I see is the Lexus GX, a big old SUV by Lexus. How did that certainly, one stand certainly. out? How did that stand out, or why is it right up there? So the Lexus actually is um, our the, the, the top-scoring vehicle for reliability, simply because it just didn't have any faults uh, in, in the data that, you know, that we got. So it doesn't, it, everything is a top score. It, it's, it, it, what we do is we look at, you know, we give it a score based over the, you know, the, the uh, average number, average vehicles. So we take all the data for all the vehicles in the survey, we put that together, and we come out with a baseline, and that's the average vehicle. And then we rate a vehicle about how much better or worse it is than average. Every category for the Lexus for the past five years, or the past three years, excuse me, it's the top score. It's it's better, you know, well above average. It's, it's tiny percentile percentages of problems, 
compared to that vehicle. And it's because it's an old vehicle, really. I mean, they haven't done much to the Lexus GX to change it um, in five, six, seven years. Uh, aside from putting in maybe a new infotainment system or that, the, the real core componentry is the same. And it's one of the things that generally Toyota does with many of its vehicles is that they're not throwing in the newest transmission, you know, oh, well, six speed was there, now seven, now eight, now nine, you know, oh, this engine, we're, we're, we're going to take out the, that engine and put in something new. They they make marginal gains, if you will. They make small incremental changes. And the Lexus GS, for all of its old uh, body-on-frame design and powertrain, that means it's reliable. I mean, it's, it's just a workhorse. Um, there's nothing you could say about it other than it might ride stiffly. You know, it, it's it's not the most uh, comfortable luxury SUV. Um, that's why it has actually a lower owner satisfaction uh, than you expect. It's just kind of average. People are happy with it, but they're not taking it in to get repaired, uh, whether it's under warranty or afterwards. It's not the peak of refinement, but it's stood the test of time, something like that? Yeah, I, I, you would certainly say that. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it's kind of like a, a, an old Toyota 4Runner, but nice. You know, you know, a, 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 it's a truck, but it's got leather and wood and everything like that inside. But you still do feel. I mean, you definitely will feel pothole impacts. You know, you it, you might feel it have a little body lean to it. You know, the engine's a little louder. Um, you know, under acceleration than some of the newer, more refined SUVs. But some of those, you know, and I'm not I'm not here to disparage, but you know, you know what where it plays in the marketplace. You know, in the fifty-six to Seventy, eighty thousand dollar line. You know, some of those you're going to become friends with the guy at the service department. Whereas yeah. Lexus, you probably aren't going to know him except for that oil change you may bring it in for. Exactly, that's a good way of putting it. Very well. Said. We, we Thanks, saw John. another one up on the list was the Kia Nero. The it's a it's that's a full EV. Um, we uh, James and I have uh, driven that car and and it it's a, it's a nice car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as, as a as a first EV. Uh, you know, for a manufacturer, uh, the Nero, it's, it's kind of like a raised hatchback, small SUV type vehicle. Um, it, it came out in 19, uh, the first year's average, you know, they had some, some first year issues with the transmission problems and such. But one of the interesting things is, you know, so the Kia Nero is similar to the Hyundai Kona, um, electric, but the Kia uh, benefits generally, generally Kia products benefit from coming out a year after Hyundai's, you know, Hyundai motors owns the two companies. They make their own products, but they're very similar. They share the same, they share much of the same powertrains. They, they share a lot of the platform, the same they're, they're differentiated by interior materials, interior design, exterior design, et cetera. And generally what happens is Hyundai comes out with a model first. Um, and they have first year teething pains, which everyone has, you know, Toyota, Honda, Porsche, BMW, whomever it is. Kia then comes out of next year, and they've already benefited from that first that Hyundai's first year of learnings, and then the Kia tends to already have a lot of those fixes put into it. So the, the Kia, while its first year had some teasing issues, wasn't as bad as the Hyundai. The Hyundai, we, we don't recommend, actually, because it still is, is having, you know, there's too many years where it still has had problems, um, and the, the Kia benefited from that. So it's been uh, above average, well above average reliability in the 2020 model year. Um, we don't have a full robust set of data for 21, but enough based with the, the Hyundai to, uh, to to give it a prediction for this year of a, of a well above average. Um, and it's just it's a it's a solid little workhorse, uh, you know, EV. It's getting redesigned. 
So one of the things that, you know, for, for 2023, there's a new one coming out. So, you know, if you do have a chance of picking up a 2022, uh, you know, if you could find one out there, uh, Kia did drop the price on them for 2022. In anticipation, they also have the EV6, which is a, a much nicer um, bespoke platform, if you will, EV. It's only an EV, whereas the Nero uh, is a, has a gas hybrid version as well as an EV version. So you know, some compromises there. But so, so, uh, if you could find a 2022 on sale, that would be a great thing to pick up. Sure. So the that's a great insider tip then uh, that Hyundai is the uh, development mule for a Kia. It, it it tends to be that way. On occasion, wow. you'll see the Kia might Kia might launch first, but generally that is just how it's been for many of the years, and we've seen it in our data that the Kia launches with much better reliability, first year reliability than the Hyundai launched because it's a year later. If I can divert just for a second, I wanted to get a quick opinion aside from the reliability. What do you make, John, of the new Kia logo? Uh, it's interesting. A lot of people have said, uh, when I, I drive a bunch of the car, I drive only the, the test cars. In fact, I don't own a, um, a daily driver. And I bring it to groups of, of friends when I'm biking or something like that. I pull yes. up and, like, and they and they all are asking, what is that? I couldn't read it. I couldn't tell what it was. So, yes. you know, it's an interesting feedback that it, it was hard for people to identify at a, at a glance. They would know a Kia Telluride by the style. Yes. But they couldn't tell. They thought it was something different because of that logo. Is that the same response you're getting? Yeah, and, and um, I'm sure that we're not the only two, but I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't own a daily driver either, and... Um, it, it goes into that exact category that you just mentioned about friends making comments. You know, you're out having lunch or you're, you know, socializing in some way and people say the same thing. And, and that's another, that's a particular topic that they've commented on. And, and I'm kind of with them. I don't know what that, um, what that board meeting was like or how many times they met to come up with, you know, reducing a hundred ideas they had to 50 to 20 to 10 to three. And then they pick this one. It just seems very odd. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, everything's focus grouped, you know, throughout. So what were, what were the other options? Uh, yes. You know, yes. It, it, it kind of has a belt buckle look. I mean, like, you know, a big, a big branding iron versus the belt buckle. The last one looked like a belt buckle, I guess. And this one yes. looks a little more like a branding iron. Thank you. I didn't think it, about that, but you're right. Um, so I diverted for a second, and I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Bruce's list, and number three is the Toyota Prius Prime. Take us through the, the Prime and how that differentiates between some of the other Prius, if you will. Sure. Uh, so the Prime and, and, the, and the Prius, which, uh, you know, if you don't mind if I lump them together, I mean, they're very close uh, in reliability. Mm -hmm. they, they actually, in our, in our testing, they score almost the same um, as far as their overall score. Uh you know, the Prime is the, the plug-in version, uh, you know, for your listeners, the, is the plug-in hybrid version of the, the uh, Prius. So, you know, you can, you can plug that in, charge it. You have about a, a 35, 40-mile range. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take – it only takes a few hours to, um, to charge it. So unlike a full electric where, you know, you're going to need to charge it overnight if you're going to want to, you know, draw, have any kind of real range to it um, – you know, the, the prime, you could charge her for four hours or so you get, you get about 35, 45 miles, depending on, uh, heat and cold and air conditioning use and heat use, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but after that, you could then drive it as, as a hybrid. So you could, you could, we got 69 miles per gallon as a hybrid, uh, where, you know, the, 
the vehicle will revert to the the, uh, the braking and uh, the electric motor upon deceleration, charging the battery again, then you could you could drive uh, drive it that way. Um, you know, so it's it's like a much nicer Prius. It's it's more expensive. It has a nicer interior. Um, many of the other similar qualities as far as ride and handling. Um, but it, with this, it's just it's a two you know it's a two point difference in reliability, which. I can't attribute to anything other than just a, you know a small thing here or a small thing there. One person uh, perhaps had an issue. You know, some people had an issue with something from their Prius versus the Prime. So it's it's extremely close and it's it's you know almost negligible. They both have extremely good reliability. That's interesting. Yes. How much more does that Prime weigh than a regular Prius? In other words, how big is that battery pack? Any idea? Um, how many pounds? I could. I could give that to you in a second. Um, so the Prime, let's see, the Prius we have in at uh, 3,080 pounds. Um, I could get back to you as we as we go forward. I could look at sure. the Prime and, and see what we're at. Okay. My, uh, my old yeah. v, VW Bug that weighed, you know, 1,600 pounds. It's just amazing how oh. heavy cars have gotten. Oh, exactly. No, no. And, and it, it is... It is a lament in some ways. I'm um, so okay. The curb weight of the Prime is 3410. That that from the the we measure the the model that we buy. Sure. And then the Prius. So it's about you know three fifty four hundred pounds more. Um, wow. You know, that's so that, impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is the thing. I mean, with with safety features, with the comfort features that everyone wants. I mean, the the Prius Prime is a is a is a nicer interior, nicer materials because of the the price difference. I mean, your start it starts at twenty eight. As a base price, the top trim it starts at thirty four. The Prius starts at twenty five. So you know you're, you're getting a little little more inside the car, but the bigger battery is a significant thing um, just to give it that range, that ability to drive you know on, on all all electric for the you know that distance. So um, you know it, it's it, it'll also come besides the convenience features. You know you you do get the safety. You know you, you're you're sitting in cars, and I think back. The 65 Corvette that I learned to drive, I learned to drive a stick so I could drive my dad's 65 Corvette. I think of the sports car I have in my garage, which is from 88. You know, the crumple zones are not non-existent. You know, the safety is just so different. So safety definitely adds weight to it. Sure but, does. you know, it's it's not a trade-off, I think, that anyone would really make safety for fuel economy um, nowadays, especially with the advent of SUVs. <laughs> The next one on the list, uh, I would never think of Cadillac as a uh, reliability leader. How did the Cadillac XTS get on there? So, you know, the thing with the Cadillac, um, it just comes back again to, like Toyota, if you don't change things a lot, you work out the problems. So with Cadillac, with the XT5, it has multiple years of really of, of above-average reliability. And it's uh, there's there's parts that... You know, when we look at the at the data, key components that you want to look at: engine, transmission, um, you know, engine cooling, the drive system, the fuel system. You know, big things like that. The electrical system too. You know, there's there's other facets that you know, the brakes. I mean, a lot of people will knock a vehicle for brakes because they're dusty or because they squeal, stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's. It's it's a it's a thing that you know people talk about with warranty. You know they take in the dealership and they're they're constantly complaining that they're not happy with how fast they wear. I mean, I think we've all seen the days where you know rotors warp much quicker today than they did 10, 20 years ago because they're much thinner for weight. 
um, you know, and we have big, heavy vehicles. Things such as noises and leaks and in-car electronics are kind of the, the um, Achilles heel for the XT5, but they're not significant that they're disabling you on the side of the road. They're not preventing you from driving a car. So in the key components, which are keeping the vehicle going and, and not stranding you, again, it scores off the charts high, well above average, uh, much better, far better than the average vehicle out there, um, which is just why. And it's been out in this, this guise uh, since 2017. They made some changes uh, you know, over the five years, but it's pretty much the same vehicle since 2017. Um, and, and again, doing things the same, not making massive changes every year, every other year, build consistency. They work out you know, the, the headaches uh, from the first year because 2017, we would not say buy that car. We would say run, run away from it. It's going to be a problem. It continues to have, they continue to have problems every year in our survey, current year that's Problems with the transmission, problems with the drive system, problems with the brakes. But the newer ones, they've worked those issues out. I'm assuming, see, John, yeah. that you're younger uh, than than I am and that Bruce is. We're the, we're the same age in our mid-60s. And I can remember as a boy, um, you know, if, if your family or a friend was successful, they would, boy, they have a Cadillac or they have a Lincoln. And as I grew up, I would grew to say, well, that's a... That's old people's car, and when I've looked at Cadillacs <laughs> now and look at Lincolns, they're so much different. And I, the Cadillacs that I've driven and that Bruce has driven, I think that they're they're just a far cry in, in a positive from what they used to be. The old clunker going well, down fun, the highway. They're fast. They're yeah. fun, and that's it, a whole new. It isn't you know like they used to say. It isn't your grandfather's Cadillac anymore, and it's been that way for for quite a while now. I I really like them a lot. A hundred percent agree. I mean, you know whether. You know, I, I lean to the sporty side. Uh, yes. So those black wings are, you know, fantastic cars. <laughs> yes, they sure um, are. <laughs> and, in, and in fact, that that black the black wing manual gearbox I find I, I think is far better than than the the feel of the BMW M3 gearbox. But that could be a different debate. But I, I I'm I'm almost fifty, so I've spent time when I was a child in the center seat of a Lincoln Town Car with five other family members, you know, <laughs> driving out to dinner with, with my grandfather That's or the Mercury Grand Marquis yes, or, you great, know, like the Cadillac stories. of the era. Sure. So, you know, I, I totally remember that. Um, but I also remember the dark days of them with, with engine problems and such like that. So you're right. Uh, much of it, the American auto industry as a whole has come very, very far uh, from those days. Sure, I agree. No about it. That that Blackwing, I do recall, uh, very smooth clutch, and what was nice about it, you, you didn't even need to work with the clutch to light the tires up, and like any time, exactly. any time you wanted. <laughs> you know, it's it, yeah. uh, having having um, friends in different areas. Some friends, um, well, Bruce and I, you know, are car guys, and and some friends just aren't, and. And it, it goes to your point about bringing a car that you're on a bike ride and different friends say different things. And and my non-car friends would say, I said, you know, it's a Cadillac with a manual transmission. And they, the looks on their faces are just, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah. Exactly. It's it's a whole new thing. And, and I know the Cadillac, you know, brought them back because people wanted that. And it, but it just seems odd for some reason. But it's a great, it's a great odd. A great oddity. <laughs> yeah, a great oddity, yeah. Um, it is. It is. Snap, snap that up today and, and save it for uh, you know for, for an auction in twenty years, right? You bet. I would say that the next car on the list. I'm just you know blanket statement. I've never met anybody who doesn't like uh, Mazda uh, the MX-5 Miata. Um, 
you know, you just it puts a smile on your face, and they're just wonderful little cars, and they have been since what ninety something, early ninety ninety seven maybe. I, I've forgotten when they were when they debuted, but if I'm not mistaken, it's the it's the best selling sports car in history now. I I believe you're right, and and you're you're there's nothing that you can't put a you know puts a smile on your face type of thing for for a car person it puts a smile on your face yes um, especially the current generation I I I personally would like slightly better seats. I know they went to, to lighten the car as much as possible. And they went to these interesting, um, almost suspend, you know, mesh suspended seats, but that's a personal little thing for me. Sure. Going to this, going back to that lightweight roadster, um, from the, the previous couple of generations, you know, they had the, the, the hard top they had, uh, you know, they're getting bigger. They were getting a little more comfortable. They were still fun to drive, but they maybe had drifted a little bit away from that, like tiny little blue pill type looking car when it first came out, you know, yes. this tiny little thing. Um, when I say blue, because that was just the, that color that, that Mazda launched with. And it, it's, it, it does everything you want. It, and it makes the perfect example as far as the car goes, you know, not talking about reliability and such that it's fun to go, um, go slow or fast in a slow car. And it's not really slow, but you know, you can go quick in a slow car and that's, that's invigorating. Whereas, you know, a 911 is a great, a Corvette is a great car. I mean, I grew up with Corvettes in the house and, and the Corvettes are great, but they're hard to ring out anywhere that's safe and legal, except if a racetrack, you know, sure. so it's kind of like, uh, you know, 55 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour in a Corvette, not the same as 45 in a Miata, you know, no. a Miata makes you feel like you're going 60 or 70. That's a good but, point. You know, you know, to, to the Mazda point, great reliability, um, some, some, some climate climate issues and, and some is couple of little issues with body hardware. We got some reports of, you know, trim pieces that, that weren't really secured or coming off. But again, the key componentry, the engine, the transmission, the drive system, all flawless. And it really speaks to this owner satisfaction because what we do see is in a lot of our data, because we survey our owners about what they feel about the car is that a lot of times you'll have a really reliable car but it's just blah. I mean, it just does what they expect. You know, maybe a Toyota Camry, it gets an average reliability and a satisfaction. It might get great reliability, but it's, it's an appliance into the general sense. And it's nothing against the Camry, but it just does what it does and it does it well. And it goes about its business and the Miata to be a satisfying car. And it's not for everyone and it's small and it's loud and it's cramped, but to have great reliability and great satisfaction together really shows that Mazda is doing it right. I had a quick aside on that. I was in a shopping center one day, and I happened to have was test driving uh, the MX-5, and the guy in the shopping center, just out of coincidence, had the same car, same color, same year, everything. And he got out of the car, and he kind of had to unfold himself. He was five, six five or six six, and I looked at the guy, and he said, "I said, what do you think?" And he said, "I love every second of it." But here's a guy who had you know, had to fold himself up to get into the car, mm-hmm. but he just loved it. So, I mean, the car did not fit him at all, but it didn't matter to him. He just loved the car. So it was great. Yeah, exactly. Yep, they are great. They are great. John, you keep coming back to uh, the major components, uh, like the drivetrain, the motor, on reliability. So what would your guess be on electric versus today's fossil fuel cars? Are the electrics... Should you expect better uh, reliability out of electric car? Uh, super, very interesting question. Very good question. Um, what we've seen with the reliability for most electrics is that it's not 
powertrain related, drive drivetrain related type of things. And you and you get different you know issues. So a lot of people, and I'm not saying you guys are, but a lot of people say, like, oh, well, I've heard you know they're going to be more reliable because there's not the same maintenance, and it's it's different. They have different maintenance. First of all, I mean, I, I like to look at Audi Q, uh, sorry, the Audi e-tron, the the first their, yes. their their big SUV one, where you have to change the coolant, I believe, for the each axle. The drive, the motor, drive motors in the axle. That there's a service to change the coolant in the axle, because the motors, you know, need that. Not something you would really think of if you said like, oh, you know, you're getting rid of the engine, the transmission. But that that's a that's a maintenance fee thing. Now it's every two years plus. It's not the same as having an oil change every eight thousand. But to back to your question, as far as reliability, what we really see is it's electronics, and it's it's kind of what's plaguing the industry overall. I mean, certainly you'll have. Um, a bad transmission here or there, you know, a manufacturer has a transmission issue or, you know, you, you will have an engine issue, certainly. But what we see universally is that electron, uh, the in-car electronics and the electronics in general scores tend to be lower, um, you know, and, and people can't get the, the things fixed that while they won't strand them, they certainly make using the vehicle a pain. For example, your infotainment system goes out. You're not able to use the climate control in many vehicles you know you're not able to use the radio you know you're not able to do a lot some cars mercedes-benz for example lexus for example even audi can't adjust the seats in some respects you know you could have the lumbar is 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 forced out or, or does you know is in an awkward uh position and you can't you can't do anything because it's all through the screen so that's the that's the real headache we see so electron electric vehicles we're seeing right now those issues i'm sure we'll see battery issues um come up uh you know the, the what we sometimes will see is that early vehicles will have battery you know might have a problem i shouldn't say specifically battery here but early vehicles may have a problem and eventually it gets recalled so while we tell people don't submit um a recall issue as a problem you know that's that's something that's being addressed by the manufacturer it's not something that that's that's failed especially after it's been recalled sometimes we'll see leading edge data before the recall is issued. So, you know, we might see some, some Chevy, we might've seen some Chevy bolt data come in with the batteries being problematic at first, or, um, you know, uh, you know, another vehicle with, with a transmission issue or a braking issue. And then six months down the road, you find out it's recalled. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was folded into that data at that time. Um, if, if that helps answer the question. Okay. Yes. Um, what, what going on a little bit further then how, how, what's the battery reliability in, uh, full electrics and, and how are people getting them replaced if they need it? And how is that all going? Is it a problem? So we, we haven't seen data yet on uh, far as battery failures, um, or, or issues like that, because, you know, the, the big, the, I guess the big ones have been the bolt, uh, for example, and, yes. and that was under a recall. We, I've seen a lot of people with their original batteries and their Toyota, their old Toyota Priuses, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, um, still getting, still on the original battery, um, still, still getting really great mileage. We did a test on a 10 year old Prius once. Uh, we, we had someone come back and, and, uh, not the car we originally tested, but someone came back and we drove the car and we put it through our fuel economy testing and it lost about two miles per gallon over those 10 years from, uh, you know, from when it was new. That's so we haven't. Great. We haven't seen that, but I think as the as as they proliferate, you know, just as they expand through the market, um, you know, you, you will see some things. But the Teslas, for example, we have not. They, they they're probably the most robust data as far as EVs out there. Uh, the longest uh, long term data 
we haven't we haven't seen issues at this point with them. Um, I'm not anticipating. I'm not saying it in the sense of like you know couching that we might, but um, you just never know if they if they have a drop off. Also, a lot of their owners may sell it off to someone else, so they they're not used to they may not be used to the uh, the original range that was available. That when they you know they bought it secondhand, so the range for them is still good. I think in the next few years, we'll really get a good idea as far as, you know, how, how, how quickly in the real world versus the, the captured test fleet world or the evaluation world for a manufacturer, how well the batteries last. The battery's always been a question mark for me, um, you know, just from cell phone use and my cordless uh, drills, you name it, in the, in the, out in the garage, you know. They, they don't last, but maybe it's different, I guess, with the, in the car. The fingers are crossed, right? Sure. Right. I see three more uh, three more cars on the on the list. Uh, John, we'll go through those pretty quickly. It's the Honda Insight, the uh, Toyota Highlander, and uh, I'm sorry, four cars on this. The, the Insight, the sure. Highlander, uh, the Subaru Crosstrek, and the Mazda CX-9. So um, a few questions to ask after the list, but if you don't mind, uh, take us through those four cars. Uh, anything surprising you on, on, on those cars or... Did they did they fall in um, in order as um, you've had this reliability um, study before? You know, very very similar. I mean, the the Insight. What's interesting is the you know, the Insight, the Highlander, and the Crosstrek, which which incorporate some hybrid versions. I mean, the Insight is a hybrid only. So again, yes. you have a concern about maybe well, you know, battery life and, and reliability. Nope. I mean, it's a robust robust vehicle. Sure. Um, it's one of those vehicles where it has great reliability, but it's a little bland, and the satisfaction is just average yes uh, it, it, it does its job um highlanders again when you come back when you look at highlander and even with the cross trek long-term use of the platforms you know so so subaru has moved has moved to a global platform the, the, the cross trek may not be on that new global platform but it's the same as the it's, you know, it's an impreza uh which has a sedan and a hatchback as well and you know you're just using very similar componentry across the line you're working out the problems early on um it, it, the, the bad thing of that is if something goes bad, it generally affects everything, <laughs> you know, so, you know, if you have a big problem, it, it can hurt a lot of cars, but if you get things worked out early on, you know, you're, you're in for, you know, long-term uh, uh, positivity, if you will, long-term reliability. Um, say that's the type of thing with the Toyota. I mean, that their V6 engine, you know, until they are now getting rid of it with the next generation Highlander that's coming out of the, the freshening, um, the 3.5 liter V6, they run a six speed automatic. It's, it just works, it, you know, to steal an Apple type of, uh, uh, type of comment with it. Um, the final version, final vehicle, a Mazda CX-9, it, very much similar in the sense of you don't look at Mazda and see eight, nine, 10 speed automatic transmissions. You know, they use the turbocharged four cylinder. They share that across the, 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 their vehicle lineup. They use a six speed automatic transmission. Um, you know, those are the types of things. It doesn't get the best fuel economy. I mean, let's let's be honest. It, it's it's a little bit of a, of a of a heavy vehicle, and it and it gets hurt in that respect. You know, the, the you know the the Toyota the Toyota can get more. Um, you know, the Mazda's is fine, but a solid vehicle. I mean, reliability wise, we're not seeing transmission issues. We're not seeing anything going on with the engine. Um, just you know, electronics. They they have an electric uh, uh, infotainment system. I should say in car electronics. Their infotainment system is is kludgy and uh, has had fits and starts with with the redesigns. Uh, some of it is usability issues, um, but overall, as far as again, 
using it, relying on it, depending on it each day, it's, it's you know, right up there with the best of them. I guess I, uh, Mazda still uses TomTom, I think, on its uh, navigation system. I've always been suspect. On it. <laughs> I, you know, we've seen it in, in uh, the, the 19 and the 20 data that people had problems, and that was when they were, you know, moving around with, you know, moving to new systems. Yes. The 21 data shows that it's fine. Uh, it's actually, you know, extremely reliable, the system. So uh, now they have a, they've moved to another, a new one, in the CX-50, and, the you know, they have a both a combination of a touchscreen and the knob. So it's, it's when they make these changes, you know, the, the running changes, the technology changes, they want to, uh, you know, they go from a touchscreen to a knob or maybe a partial touchscreen. That's where you, you, you get these headaches. I mean, I, I expect to see issues in a lot of the verbatims we get from auto, some, some cars is that the wireless CarPlay and wireless Android Auto is 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 an ongoing problem. Um, that tends to be a big thing. Is that you know it just fails. You know it doesn't connect. And in fact, you, you'll see. I mean, Kia and Hyundai have had some some headaches with that. And you see a lot of them. A lot of the cars they don't they don't really offer it in a lot of vehicles. Or they're not making it available. Um, and you have to plug in to use those features because the, the the handoffs just aren't always working. And it's a tough thing for an auto manufacturer. You know the technology changes on both sides so quickly. Uh, that it, it's some, you know, they're, they're left behind, you know, if Apple makes an update and then the system doesn't work, then they have to go and, and make an update to all their cars. So it's a challenge. It, that, that's, it's not a surprise that you're seeing data the problems there, but that's where the problems are the, the, for most people. I think I'll uh, finish up. Um, I, Bruce and I were talking about this before the podcast, and that is with, with uh, your publication online and print, of course, and, and all the people who rely on uh, your information and expertise I think it's safe to say that people are, by and large, pretty passionate about the cars they buy. Some people just buy a car and it's transportation and it gets them from A to B and they don't think much about it. But most people, I think, uh, they buy a car because they it's like a child almost. They, they fall in love with it and they're very passionate about it. So with Consumer Reports, you come out with this list or you come out with the 10 most unreliable or any other 10 list or 12 list that you guys come up with. From the manufacturer side and from the public side, can you give us a couple of examples of somebody who calls up or sends you guys a, you know, a scathing hate mail, e- hate mail and says, "You guys, <laughs> you guys have been around seventy-five. You guys don't know anything about anything." From the manufacturer side or the public side, or also, I guess the reverse of that is you get praise and people said, "You know, you're exactly right. Um, I have a Kia Nero and it's great." So could you give us a couple of anecdotes sure, on, sure. on both sides of that, if you would? You know, the, the thing with the manufacturer side, what's, what's rewarding in the accuracy of our data is that, and it's not a knock on the manufacturers, but when we do a story about who has lost their recommendation because their reliability fell, uh, you know, as journalists, we will call the manufacturer for a quote and yes. we'll present their data. And they also often will have a, have a, a team that wants to meet and talk or, you know, Zoom, whatever, and sure. they want to know what it is. But when they send us something saying, we're aware of the issue, or, okay, well, this was an issue with this group, and we've addressed it, or we've done this, it's, it's validating, of course. You know, you don't want them to say, we have no idea. Uh, you know, and they could be stonewalling, or they could say they have no idea, or it could maybe not have risen up to their, their warranty data, or the dealership declines the warranty. You know, there, there could be all kinds of reasons why. Sure. So when the manufacturer says, yep, we're aware of it, et cetera, you know, that's, that's, that's validating. It's not something I revel in telling someone that they're, you know, that their vehicle had a problem. Um, but it's like, there, there's certainly a lot of people who have a, 
a sample size of one who tell me that their Ford Explorer, which is one of the least reliable vehicles in our survey for, for two years in a row, well, my Ford Explorer is fine. And, and that's very true. Yes. And I have a Bosch dishwasher that had a lot of problems in my house, but Bosch has very good reliability in our survey. I don't go screaming at our electronics household <laughs> products group and tell them that. Thank you for that, John. How that's the heck true. did you tell me to get a Bosch dishwasher because the, the darn thing is has a new circuit board? Yes. Uh, you know, it happens. Yes. It, it does happen. So, you know, consider yourself lucky if your Ford Explorer hasn't been to the dealer. Um because most of them have been for, for recalls as well as just repairs and problems when they were assembling them on the line. I think we all in the industry read about a lot of problems they were having with it. And it comes out and it's hard and it hurts. You know, you it's a big investment. You have pride in it. Maybe it's your fourth Explorer in a row. And, and to read this, you kind of feel, eh, you know, what am I doing wrong? Um, you know, or what am I doing right and everyone else doing wrong? Sure. So those, those are the types of things. I, I do personally like it. You know, someone says, look, like you, like you gentlemen said, I have it. I've used it. It's helped me with something. I have a question. Um, you know, it, it's, that's just, it's, it's validating and it, you know, it makes, makes any of the bureaucratic stuff that you deal with on a daily basis go away because you know, you're helping people out. Sure. John, uh, my wife had a Ford Explorer and I enjoyed that vehicle for years. I think it's time to mm-hmm. go now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any problems with it, but I know it was a problem vehicle, but I lucked out. Yeah, the re- the redesign they had they had some again, they had some first and second unfortunately, but you know, brand new platform, everything was new. Uh, it's not a surprise. It's a shame, but it's not a surprise that a first year right. vehicle had some some big problems. John, that's probably a great place with uh, to with a little lightheartedness. So that was great. Thank you for that. It's probably a great place to wrap up for our episode today. Um, I thought I knew a little bit about cars, but after talking to you, I don't know a damn thing. So thanks oh, for the no, no, no. thanks for the education. <laughs> we all learn from each other, right? <laughs> that's right. That's a good point. Thank you for that. Um, Want to thank. Um, our guest, the deputy auto editor for Consumer Reports. We love, John, thank you so much. We love the publication. I can't wait to dig into some more of this stuff. And when when we get the public relations releases, I always say, boy, this is going to be fun to look at this one to see what they've come up with now. And it's it's always a good read, whether it's in print or online. So, So thanks for your time today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Very much appreciate it. I had a fantastic time. I, I, I hope I, uh, I hope I was uh, enjoyable enough to be invited back again. Absolutely. You bet. Thank, thank you, John. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you, guys.